The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Hello and welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. The Dow snaps a five-day winning streak while Treasury yields climb as the Fed acknowledges the risks of moving too far too fast and says it sees little sign of inflation subsiding. Oil prices steady as the OPEC Secretary General says Chinese consumption fears are overdone and tells CNBC how to return demand to pre-pandemic levels. I'm personally quite bullish on demand. The missing factor is still jet fuel recovery. And I believe that's a significant component of what's missing in, in bringing demand back to its pre-COVID levels. Target misses the mark. Profits plunge 90% as steep discounts fail to lure inflation-weary shoppers. And Christmas comes early for Apple fans with the new iPhone 14 reportedly set to be revealed within a matter of weeks. Focus on the Fed minutes yesterday and the latest document showing officials are willing to raise rates as high as necessary to bring inflation back down to 2%. But they also issued a word of caution about the pace of hikes. Officials voiced concern that they could risk hiking by more than required, giving the lag between rising borrowing costs and the impact on activity, thereby bringing unnecessary weakness into the economy. U.S. majors pared back some of the session's losses on the back of the Fed's admission. It may need to dial back the pace of hikes. Now, the CME group FedWatch shows markets are now pricing in an almost two-thirds chance of a 50 basis point hike in September. White House economic adviser Brian Deese told CNBC the government is serious about bringing down inflation but stressed rising cost pressures are a global problem. The numbers we saw this morning underscore that the inflation challenge is real and it's global uh, and uh, we're seeing inflation prints across the developed world. The OECD average is now close to 10 percent uh, and obviously that's a significant concern. U.S. retail activity came in flat for July as drops in fuel prices and car sales were offset by higher spending elsewhere, namely in online retail. Sales excluding autos rose 0.4%, while food and retail sales excluding cars and gasoline rose 0.7% month on month. Brian Deese told CNBC the U.S. economy remains strong despite facing the steepest inflationary pressures in 40 years. We continue to have a historically strong labor market recovery. Uh, we are seeing you know, some, some reduction in, in, in job openings, but continued hiring uh, at a historic pace, and that, that strength provides resilience in the economy. Well, in terms of trade yesterday, there was a lot for investors to watch. Those FOMC minutes were certainly a focal point and also reaction to the retail sales data as well as Target and Lowe's earnings. So here's the picture. We ultimately ended the session lower, but these moves do mask a bit of the volatility that we saw throughout the day. We were trading lower for the most part. Then U.S. stocks got a bit of a lift in the immediate aftermath of those FOMC minutes being released. Investors taking somewhat of a 
dovish um, read of those minutes, but then we faded into the close. So ultimately, the Dow Jones dropped about 0.5% on the day. S&P 500 pulled back about 0.7%, but the bulk of the selling came in the tech-heavy NASDAQ. It ended about one and a quarter percent lower. Turning to treasuries, we also saw a reaction in the treasury market on the back of the minutes. Treasury yields dipping in the immediate aftermath as U.S. stocks rose. Right now, we've got U.S. 10-year yields uh, around 2.867%. The two-year is trading around 3.26%. Dollar crosses. We are trading higher on the week. The dollar index uh, up about 1% on the week coming into today's session. We've got some stabilization in sterling versus the greenback this morning. We're hovering right around that 120 level. The euro trading on the back foot versus the dollar this morning. We're right around 101.66. And as for the dollar versus the yen, trading a little bit firmer this morning, right around the 135 mark. Turning to oil markets, we saw some interesting trade yesterday in oil markets. And I say interesting because as U.S. stocks ended the day lower, the price of oil rose. We broke a three-day losing streak, WTI and Brent each gaining ground yesterday. This morning, things looking um, fairly stable. Brent and WTI, little changed so far, $93 and $88 a barrel, respectively. Turning to Asian markets, here's the picture. We've got red across the board, so mirroring the moves lower we saw on Wall Street. Shanghai Composite in the mainland down half a percent. The Hong Kong market down about seven-tenths of a percent. And the Nikkei 225 dropping about 0.9% right now. So similar pullback to what we saw stateside. Karen. Juliana, let's shoot the breeze on these minutes from the Fed. Giro Jong joins us now, Chief Economist at Mirabeau Asset Management. Giro, thank you very much for joining us today. The market interpretation was that this was some sort of a, a dovish minutes read that uh, the market now gearing up for 50 basis points, not 75 at this stage. What was your interpretation as you read between the lines on this report? Yeah, sure. Good morning. Overall, uh, we think it's quite a balanced message. There are some uh, arguments for the doves. There are some arguments for the hawks. But importantly, um, when it comes to a possible Fed pivot, it uh, comes out quite clearly that the September pivot is unlikely to happen. Can we get into that? Because if you look at the language, uh, what we had, some of the participants saying there was little evidence to date that inflation pressures are subsiding. We've had one report card uh, since the, the last meeting that show us consumer prices are slowing at uh, a pace of 8.5% now, that just coming off that 9.1% growth that we had back in June. So slight cooling off from a very red-hot number here. We still have another report card to come before the September meeting. Do you think if we have a, a cooler number again uh, on that report card, it could be enough for the Fed to start changing its language just a little bit? Sure, that's uh, certainly uh, possible. We are expecting uh, this next uh, CPI report, uh, inflation report that comes out early, early September that refers to the August data. But for us, our baseline at least is that the Fed will slow down its uh, pace hikes to 50 basis points. I think important, uh, what is important is uh, what will happen later this year at the two remaining meetings at the end of the year and especially next year. Um what would you, uh, how would you characterize the Fed's credibility at this stage? I think it's quite interesting that we've seen U.S. Um, equity markets rally uh, over the course of the summer, implying that there isn't a huge amount of concern about inflation spiraling out of control. Uh, how would you characterize the, the state of credibility of the Fed and what did the minutes yesterday do to the Fed's credibility? So I think, um, and we think, uh, the Fed took this um, 
took this risk of a possible overheating of the economy and therefore an overshoot in uh, in the inflation uh, target, which uh, remains at two uh, percent. It's um, uh, a risk that was taken willingly because we are fa- we were facing a very special situation. Of course, in hindsight, one um, could ask the question: Why QE lasted for so long? Uh, why? the first interest rate rate hike uh, lasted or came so late in this cycle. Um, but that's certainly, or these are reasons why the Fed now has to do much more and uh, uh, basically bring uh, interest rates into restrictive territory. Just from a monetary policy uh, point of view, we should also have in mind that at the current level, the Fed funds rate being between 225 and 250%, we are only at least close to neutral level. Um, so we are not even in restrictive territory, despite inflation being about four times above target. Mm. It, you know, you, you make an interesting point. Um, th- there is a lot of talk about the Fed acting aggressively. And then you look at where rates actually are. And, um, you know, we're not necessarily in aggressive territory, but the pace of the tightening has been aggressive. Um, the other thing that stood out to me in the minutes was the lag, how officials highlighted that the bulk of the effective rate rises has not yet been significantly felt. So press, price pressure is not yet showing much uh, movement. Where are you looking to judge the impact of rate rises on the real economy? Yeah, sure. Uh, traditionally speaking, and uh being somebody who worked himself for a, for a central bank, there's a lag. Uh, monetary, if you raise interest rates now, the lag is really felt on the sort of real economy um, 12 to 18 months uh, ahead. So um, this tightening or this, these rate increases by the Fed are really being felt only at a later later stage uh it, starting next next year, basically, but uh, for financial markets especially, what is important is the signal uh, that the Fed uh, gives. And uh, we think at least that for the time being, the Fed has not signaled that it is ready to pause or to stop, that the pivot is coming. Inflation is a main uh, main issue. And in, in the introduction, there was also somebody mentioning that inflation is also a political problem in the U.S., um, given the uh, upcoming elections, uh, midterm elections in in November, so inflation is a big uh, is a big economic problem, and the central bank and the Fed is ready to act and will act and will continue to act in our view, including at the September meeting, including later this year, and especially including uh, including next year. Gira, can I extract some comments about the type of demand we are looking at at this point in the United States? Because we've had a show and tell season from the big retailers. We had some retail sales numbers as well. And we combine that with what the Fed has said, where effectively they're looking at some cooling off in the uh, fuel, the energy component, but also supply chain issues fixing themselves. But a lot of the hard work really going to have to come from businesses and consumers cutting back this pullback in demand uh, thanks to higher interest rates. If you look at uh, the data that we've had and from even Target, one of the big ones at yesterday, talking about uh, the slump in some of the discretionary spend, are we getting to the point where you think consumers at least are changing their behaviours thanks to higher interest rates and concerns around the economy? Sure, there are two things that really represent a cushion for U.S. domestic demand and in particular consumption spending. Uh, the first one is a continuously strong labor market. We had the uh, 
July numbers, which were very strong. The unemployment rate uh, remains at 3.6% at extremely low levels. So this um, strength in the labor market is certainly quite remarkable. And the second thing is this excess savings that were accum- accumulated during the pandemic, given a generous fiscal fiscal spending. Now, if you look into the details regarding these savings that were accumulated uh, during this um, this crisis, if you look at different income um, uh, quartiles, the lower income quartiles, certainly cash balances have been reduced. But for the other part, for the uh, medium uh, income uh, part of U.S. households, those savings actually remain quite uh, remain quite important. Um, and overall, I'm in uh, at around uh, 2.2 trillion dollars, which represents nearly 10 percent of U.S. GDP. So the strength of the labor market and excess savings that remain there are two factors uh, that uh, represent somewhat a cushion to uh, softer uh, demand. Overall, um, we think the latest data, if it's industrial production or especially the retail sales that came out yesterday, show actually that the U.S. economy is uh, quite resilient. Mm. Well, it seems as though a big part of that resilience is because the higher income part of the the um, economic spectrum is in much better shape. And it's actually the lower income part um, of the economy that is being most negatively affected. Very similar to what we saw during the pandemic. It was really a tale of two pandemics. It feels as though the recovery now is also a tale of two recoveries. Sure. Um, but on uh, <clears throat> income uh, dispersion, there's little central bank policy can really do. That's more um, of the task of fiscal authorities uh, to um, come up with uh, solutions to this problem. Giro, thank you so much for uh, joining us this morning. Uh, Chief Economist Mirabeau Asset Management, really appreciate you waking up early to join us. The governor of the Reserve Bank of New Zealand, Adrian Orr, has told CNBC he's confident rising rates will eventually bring down inflation, but said households will also need to rein in spending. Orr was speaking a day after the RBNZ hiked its benchmark rate by 50 basis points for the fourth time in a row. On the housing front, or said that while mortgage rates will go up, he expects to see property prices ultimately cool and balance out the market. The current level of interest rates that we uh, we see today as consistent with our statement are uh, fully within that range of manageability. Now, that doesn't mean that it won't uh, involve some belt tightening in households. Um, those who have just entered the market um, have high levels of debt. Um, you know, servicing costs are coming up. On the flip side of it, um, you know, we were under a lot of pressure to say your loose monetary conditions is leading to unaffordable house prices. So while serviceability has gone up, housing prices have come back. Uh, We're comfortable that in aggregate household balance sheets are in good shape, but certainly at the margin, there will be some belt tightening by some households. The world's largest sovereign wealth fund lost $175 billion in the first half. Norway's $1.3 trillion sovereign wealth fund returned a negative 14.4% during the period as stocks and bonds reacted violently to global recession fears and skyrocketing inflation. Norway's vast North Sea oil and gas reserves are the bedrock of the fund's wealth. Energy was the only sector to not see negative returns after huge investments in wind power in recent years. 
Return on equity investments slipped 17%, while fixed income investments and unlisted renewable energy infrastructure were also significantly lower. Uh, one of these stories, I think it just makes you sit back and think what went on and you think about what happened more broadly on markets. It is a reflection of that. And we've been uh, covering a lot of reports that some of the sovereign wealth funds are extremely unhappy with the returns they've seen from the tech sector. Uh, that area was down 28% in the first half. So it does tell you about the undercurrent of the tech numbers, but then you compensate that with the energy side where there was a bounce of about 13% in the first half. So huge double-digit swings really in very different components uh, of the portfolio. And it really speaks to how um, no investor was really immune. It feels like a lot of investors uh, have been caught wrong-footed in terms of positioning. So really interesting that the world's largest sovereign wealth fund was no exception. Yeah, and you wonder what that does to confidence, whether they want to go back into the same sectors at a cheaper price now in the hope that they capture some of the upside or whether they're, you know, it's one uh, once bitten twice shy mm. and that type of mentality and they stay away for a while from some of these uh, unproven tech names that have obviously uh, huge ambitions but haven't come to profitability just yet. But uh, let's talk about uh, another name that uh, effectively missed its mark, that is Target. Profits plunge as steep discounts fail to lure cost-conscious shoppers. And for more on the latest Fed Minutes and the central bank's fight to keep the lid on inflation, you can check out the Squawk Box podcast. Ambition to me is about doing better. I think ambition creates a pathway. The best advice I can give someone starting off a career is don't have a career, have lots of careers, try loads of different things. Talk to people and put your ambition out there. I don't feel that I've hit peak ambition because it's a learning journey. CNBC is where ambition meets opportunity. What does living ambitiously mean to you? Hear it from our CNBC anchors, reporters and global business leaders on CNBC.com. Welcome back to the program. Target missed Wall Street expectations for its second quarter, posting a bigger than expected 90% fall in profit. The U.S. retailer struggled to attract customers even as it slashed prices for clothing and electronics and as it aimed to clear excess inventory ahead of the holiday season. The group did maintain its full year guidance, though, saying it's positioned for a rebound in growth. A couple of points. i just pick up first up on the margin because I think there's been a huge focus during earnings season as to what the margins look like and what a roller coaster ride we've gone on when it comes to that, that margin level. I mean, we've been at 9.8% a year earlier, now tumbling to 1.2% in the second quarter. Companies saying they'll get to an annual operating margin of about 6%. So in terms of high single digit, low single digit to just somewhere in the middle, I mean, it's quite a journey, isn't it? Uh, the other point around inventory, although discounting this stuff couldn't really give it away, uh, are still holding on to a lot of the stock, which uh, does beg the question, was the stock incorrect? Was it the wrong type of stock for the marketplace? Was it uh, a hit because of people pulling back, just not mm. buying some of these items they would have bought in the past? But it is one where, as we talk about execution error, these are meant to be professionals who know exactly what the shopper is doing. They've got a lot of data mm. at their disposal these days. How do they get it so badly wrong? Well, I think that, that last point is so compelling um, to, to think about. We spoke to to, you know, I remember having a conversation with an investor months ago who talked about the importance of management teams heading into a downturn. And this is where management teams really matter. The people who are able to make these decisions around things like inventory and get it right. 
To give a sense of the scale of the problem at Target with regards to inventory, in June, inventory in Target's warehouse network peaked at more than 90% of capacity before dropping to below 80% before by the end of the period. But 90% capacity, it, that's incredible how much they have to get through. And clearly they're struggling. It sounds like a, a bad movie. I mean, we're hearing it more through the Walmart lens. They gave us a lot more color, I think, on inventory where they're just trying to rush to shut off those automatic ordering systems. It's almost like there's a buzzer <laughs> going off here and, and there's an actor running across to shut off the buzzer as another one goes off in another part of a warehouse. I mean, it, it does tell you about the challenge and maybe that's the issue. You've got so much automation now. The computers are in charge and may, maybe there's no algorithm in the backdrop to alter this according to very uh, big demand swings we're seeing in a short period of time. So I wonder if this is one of those lessons for the retailers that is not repeated mm. down the track. And of course, we know we've come out of extreme supply chain issues. And there was that concern if you weren't holding onto the stock, then you just couldn't sell anything to the customer who was really ready to buy something. But the mentality seems to have shifted. And I think as we talk about positioning now in the retail sector, and this is one for a lot of European investors too, where do you want to be positioned? Is it the grocery stores or is it in some of these discretionary areas that have been doing well in recent times. And I think Target is telling us mm. they cannot manage to get the stock away at a lower price at this stage. So perhaps it is a warning to others about what is still coming in the space as interest rates keep on going up. I suppose from an investment perspective, you're thinking about Target. Do you actually want to see them doing uh, taking all this pain now, if they're able to take the pain, eventually clear their inventory, that they're just going for it now, and then they'll potentially be looking at a clean slate down the line. Is this actually an opportunity here to see them getting all of the, the, the um, challenge out of the way and just taking the hit now? Um, but then to your point, do you want to be holding a big box store at this moment during the pandemic, it felt as though those were the plays to own because people were trying to minimize how many stores they went to. They wanted one-stop shops, and that's why stores like this did well. If people have already bought all the items they needed and more during COVID, you know, is this a shift away from goods overall? And, yeah. and is Target something that you actually don't want to own right now? Well, you now? think about your own mentality during lockdowns. I mean, I think we bought a, a printer and a coffee machine. I mean, those are a couple of items. You're staying at home having coffee, you're not going out to the local barista as much. Uh, but everything else, I mean, I, I can't think of anything else we actually need to buy at this point. So we're now just in a cycle of replacement if something breaks and then perhaps shopping around looking mm -hmm. for a discount. I mean, if you think about your own purchases, is it something you don't have at home that you need at this point? Probably not, no. I mean, I think you, it's such a good point that we, we've all kitted out our homes as much as we have for years, and now people will want experiences. That's why we're seeing the shift in spending, um, things like travel, really seeing a massive surge in demand. People just don't need as many goods right now. Yeah, we all need to go out to, to restaurants to have some bad service where people don't <laughs> want to serve you because they've been so busy for so long. <laughs> at 9% higher prices exactly. in the UK. <laughs> and let's push on to Cisco. Shares surged in extended trade after the company beat expectations in its fourth quarter. The technology giant reported over $13 billion in revenue, boosted by a strong performance in its business unit. The group said it's expecting revenue now to grow between 4 and 6% for the full year, topping analysts' forecasts. Our U.S. colleagues will be speaking to the company's CEO, Chuck Robbins, later on today. You can tune into that interview at 1600 CET. Apple has its eye on September 7th as the day to reveal its new iPhone 14 line with the model expected in stores as soon as the 16th. That is according to Bloomberg, which also reports that corporate staff at the world's most valuable company have been told they will be expected to spend at least three days per week in the office from September 5th.
Speaking to our colleagues in Asia earlier this morning, Loop managing partner Gene Munster told CNBC he sees Apple stock recouping its losses for the year and more. The stock has simply been a rocket ship, and I think that there is uh, room for it to have some variations. I think it can have a pullback and should have a pullback. I put that under the context of trading. I think more about investing, and when it comes to investing in Apple, I don't have a lot of fear. Uh, this is uh, not investment recommendation. It's just my simply the view where this goes. And if I may, Mandy, quickly frame in why I think this gets to 250. This other side, uh, the guest you just had on was talking about the chart, the vertical growth in the chart. I think what's more important is where the business can trend over the next two to five years. In the next couple of years, it's pretty clear the iPhone has become a necessity. It grew at 3% in the June quarter. That doesn't sound like much, but when you put it up against a 50% comp a year ago and consider the macro, it's quite impressive. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market-moving news, you can head to cnbc.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Show Weekdays on CNBC.